Welcome to Get Off the Treadmill podcast for business leaders, where we are relentless about helping small business owners get off the treadmill and make meaning too. I'm Sandy Corrigan, and we are going to dive into another conversation that helps us make more money in less time, get off the treadmill, and rehumanize every business leader by giving you your brain back. So welcome to Get Off the Treadmill podcast for business owners. I'm Sandy Corrigan, your host, and today I have as my guest, my friend and attorney, Jesse Ashenberg. Mr. Ashenberg has extensive experiences in family law, bankruptcy, estate planning, and probate in Colorado. Jesse received his Bachelor of Arts degree from the University of Northern Colorado and his Juris Doctorate from the University of Denver College of Law. Subsequently, he set up his law practice in 2000 and started practicing in areas of divorce, bankruptcy, probate, and estate planning. Jesse has extensive experience in family law, bankruptcy, and estate planning law, a unique yet very empathetic approach. Jesse Ashenberg has a novel approach in dealing with the complex issues of divorce and family mediation. As a man who has gone through a divorce himself and as a father of five children, he has first-hand experience of the mental, emotional, and financial trauma of a divorce and other such family issues. He thus understands the pain well. He is kind and empathetic towards his clients and likes to deal with their problems as his own. He is dedicated to his clients' welfare and strives to get the best he can for them. Jesse's deep knowledge and experience in law enables him to provide the best legal advice available in Denver, Colorado. He helps his clients by making them understand the nuances of the law, explaining what the law actually means for them by decoding the complex legal ease they know exactly what they are entitled to under the Colorado law, and guiding them to make the best decisions possible under the circumstances, keeping in mind the best interest of his clients at all times. With nearly 20 years of experience in practicing law, Jesse pays attention to his clients' needs to deliver a suitable resolution to their legal proceedings. Jesse has great testimonies, and he is someone I've known for a long time. So welcome our guest this morning, Jesse Ashenberg. Jesse, I just think about, gosh, was it almost 10 years ago, maybe even a little longer that you and I first met? because we were, Tom and I were in real estate. We, we still have a real estate company and we were helping people that were really in trouble with short sales and foreclosures. And we had a great team of people that educated the public on what their options were. I hope we don't have to do that again after this COVID or in the midst of this COVID stuff, but at least we'll know how to do it if we do. But anyway, Jesse, I'm going to let you, you know, we have a nice bio and everything for you, but I'm going to let you tell the audience what you'd like to have them know about you today, what you do and a little bit about who you are and where you live and your areas of passion and expertise in helping people. Good morning. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. And yeah, I think it was back in the crash when we met of 08, 09 and uh, lots of distressed homes and whatnot. So we've known each other for quite a while, one way or another. So a little bit about me. Well, I am an attorney. I'm licensed in Colorado. Been in practice since 2001. I think I'm at that age where that doesn't sound like that long ago, but when I say it's been 18, 19 years coming up on 20, I go, wow, I've been an attorney for a long time. I'm in solo practice, which means I am the only attorney in my office at this time. It's not always been that way, but it currently is. So my areas of practice 
our focus on uh, bankruptcy, divorce and family law matters and probate in wills and trusts. And I currently office in Aurora by the Cherry Creek Reservoir I'm off of Parker Road in Quincy. I've been here for a couple years. And before that, I was in the tech center for a long time, the Denver Tech Center. And I'm a family man. I have five children. I just got remarried after my own divorce. So now I have six children and four of them are still at home. So I'm a, I have lots of- You don't of, even have like any wrinkles or gray hair or anything. <laughs> Oh, I'm, it's getting thin. <laughs> For those of you not seeing us, Jesse looks about 30. <laughs> yeah, it's the beard and the, and, and the good hairstylist that I think takes, takes care of that. But lots so, of gray. We cut off all the gray this weekend. Yeah. So how did you, you know, people hear that, oh, like estates and divorce and family and, you know, it, that's, that's heavy stuff. And so how did you end up getting into this profession? You and I talked about this not too long ago when you did our wills and estates, which was a fabulous experience, by the way. You need to call Jesse. It's a good time to get your stuff in order. But that's not how you started out, is it? No, I, I wasn't. How far back do we want to go? I wanted to be a minister back in the day, either a music minister or a pastor. And so I was headed towards seminary or getting my master's in social work. And I got married fairly young, right out of college, and decided... Uh, my wife and I decided that there would be a better course of action for me to go to law school. So I went to DU. I was a night student for four years and worked full-time during the day. And we had a couple kids during that experience. And and now I'm an attorney, which, which shocked my parents. They had no, me being an attorney was not on their spectrum of what Jesse would become when he grew up. So, uh, but it's, I, I love law school. I think everybody should go. It's a great education and it's a, it's a life-changing paradigm shifting education that I, I would highly encourage anybody if you're inclined to go and have the time and the money to, 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 to do that. Well, I love that you had that background though, because, you know, I think that there's perception out there with people that lawyers are scary. They don't really care about people you know, all those kind of perspectives that we get about different people groups. And so the fact that you initially wanted to go into a field where you really wanted to help people, and that's still true about you. I mean, you're, mm-hmm. you're very educationally oriented, you're very service oriented to people. And so I love that you had that passion and desire and then really turned that into the way that you serve people now. Yeah, that's been the whole focus of my practice is to, is to educate. I love training and teaching people and teaching my clients. And I also just like helping people who are in difficult spots. You know, I, I grew up not in the wealthiest family and we had our struggles. I mean, I was one of those kids that was on school lunches when I was in middle school or high school. And so I have a heart for the people who are, who are not, you know, I'd say lower middle class. And that's just where I gravitate. That's where my heart is and that's where my focus is and has been my whole my whole career. Originally, I wanted to be a public defender um, coming out of law school, but that doesn't pay very much and they can move you anywhere they want in the state at that time. So that was a no-go, especially building a family. But I've always been family-oriented, whether that's doing family law cases or bankruptcies and even trust in the states now, watching my own mother get older and my father passed away four years ago. I didn't grow up around relatives, so I didn't see a lot of people grow old and then eventually pass on. 
of a relative died, it was somebody in California that I really didn't know very well. To see that on my own family impacted upon me or impressed upon me the, the great service we could provide by helping people get their estates in order, by having them have their medical powers of attorney and general powers of attorney and wills in order so that their family can know things are, are settled. Also seeing, dealing with people's estates after they die, uh, the tremendous amount of stress and trauma that the family goes through sometimes, having that estate plan in place can greatly help uh, that move at least a little bit more smoothly and with some structure. So my whole practice has been about serving families and, and helping relieve, the, I don't know, let's say suffering, suffering and confusion and uncertainty. That's really kind of my heart. Mm. So where did you grow up? I'm an Aurora kid. I grew You're up in Aurora. A Colorado native. Yeah, I grew up yeah. in the Aurora public school system and went to Greeley for undergrad. I went to UNC. I was a music major for a little while. And uh, then I went to DU for law school. So I have, except for a small stint when my parents were missionaries overseas when I was in middle school, have been in Colorado my whole life. So your parents were kind of entrepreneurial, right? As missionaries. <laughs> yeah, that's, I don't think there's or a great... A, or a pioneer, at least, right? Uh, yeah, maybe pioneer is a better way to put it, because I, I don't think that you'd go into the mission field for a profit. They certainly didn't. Maybe that's possible, but not in that line of work. So they they were they were willing to listen to their instincts and and take the follow the lead they thought they had from from their higher power. So and was that their whole life or just that stint? I mean, were they in ministry or in service that way in this country before you went overseas in middle school? Yeah, they were heavily involved in the in the church we were involved in, and then one day. My father's thought, felt called to go overseas and 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 join the mission field for a while. We thought it was going to be permanent. It wasn't. It was just uh, about two years. But they were always willing to follow their calling, and they thought that was more important than anything else. So I guess that got rubbed off on me a little bit. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about, you know, some of the areas of practice. And, you know, talk to us about, what we should be thinking about in terms of an estate and planning situation, or let's say somebody's in a tough relationship and they're thinking about making a change or somebody maybe has really been affected by COVID and lost their business or their finances have really been impacted. But tell us just a little bit about what it's like to come and work with you, what we should be thinking about maybe what research we could do on our own. I know you have some Facebook groups that people can be a part of because you do love to educate. So tell us a little bit more about the things that you have for people. Well, let's just start with uh, bankruptcy we'll st and we'll move on through the practice areas. So interesting right now, interestingly right now with COVID, we're what, six months into the COVID experience. Mm -hmm. I really assumed that at this time I would be flooded with new bankruptcy cases. And I think so did a lot of my fellow practitioners in the area. And and there are, are fewer and fewer bankruptcy cases being filed right now. Why do you think um, that is? Well, I think all the government help and, and stimulus. So right now we're in a foreclosure ban. So new foreclosures can't start. And I think that goes through the end of the year. We're in an eviction ban as well. I don't know if ban's the right word. 
but you know what I'm saying. And also collections, you know, the collection uh, companies have a lot of new COVID restrictions on what they can do to try to collect on, on debts. So those are all the main pain points and motivators for a lot of my clients to, to file a bankruptcy case is either being sued and garnished or being foreclosed on. And there, and so those are on hold right now. So do you think we're kind of building this mountain that could cascade after, I mean, I know you don't have a crystal ball and we have an election coming up and all that, but you know, typically that's what we see, right? Is we get this kind of what, goes up must come down and so we've got this sort of pent-up bottlenecking damming like a dam like a a dam in a water situation yeah i don't think anything is going to change between now and the end of the year i think it's too politically charged so i would say the rest of 2020 it'll be more of the same people who are filing for a bankruptcy case right now are, are people who are either being proactive have another reason to file but i do think i do think there will be uh, an influx of of bankruptcy filings once the election is done and there's a changing of the guard in congress and whatnot regardless of who takes control right so at least in colorado explain the options for bankruptcy like you know the hope would be that people would take the stimulus money and they'd be doing constructive things with it but We've seen things like luxury car sales and vacations. <laughs> We've seen people not, you know, maybe steward or be entrusted with <laughs> quite in the best ways. But I am baffled right now by the housing market. I really, I, I'm sure people can explain it, but I, I'm not sure how housing prices continue to go up and people are having record sales and everything else. It seems just this, to me, there's a, a mismatch there. I'm sure some economists can explain it. I've been watching YouTube videos trying to figure it out, but I'm not a realtor or an economist. Well, um, even in real estate, we're kind of baffled. I mean, we know it's supply and demand. We know we're a destination state here in Colorado. We know people want are looking at even moving out of urban areas into, you know, more countrified areas and, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of stuff. But it's, it is pretty crazy. It's going to be very interesting to see where that all goes. Yeah, I do think there's a, a split between the, I don't want to say haves and have nots, but the white collar workers seem to be doing fine, being able to work from home, Zoom meetings, et cetera. And then if you're a boots on the ground, more blue collar worker, I think those that's where we're going to see the big yeah, struggle. Or a small business owner, which we or can small. talk about. Yeah. Or a, sing, or a single, I, I have a lot of single parents that, uh, so back to the bankruptcy question, you know, a good example would be a single mother who is struggling and then she gets say laid off from her job and now she's trying to work any job she can find to make ends meet and and feed the kids and now the kids are home schooling at home uh, while she's trying to work I mean that's just it gets to be too much sometimes so I have a couple clients who are in that in that arena and so if somebody's struggling say with your mortgage payment uh, which will be very common I think after the first of the year when all the when the chickens come to roost. Um, and maybe the money's gone, the stimulus money and sure. other things like that as well. Sure, because right? not, everybody, not, not everybody deals with the stimulus money the right way. I think people have hopes that they'll be able to replace it or replenish it when the time comes or there'll be another stimulus package that'll rescue them from their, from their choices. But uh, so if you're behind on mortgage payments, a bankruptcy can stop a foreclosure. And that's if you're behind on mortgage payments, and that's typically a Chapter 13 bankruptcy, where you can get caught up on your mortgage over three to five years. So I'm expecting an increase in those 
after the first of the year. And so, you know, I've talked to, there's two chapter 13 trustees in town and they're the ones who sort of work for the court system managing the chapter 13 cases. And they both think from my impression of speaking with them that there's, there'll be an influx of those as well. And another reason for influx of chapter 13 bankruptcies is the equity we have in Colorado in our houses. You know, back when the crash happened, when you and I met, people were upside down on their houses. We don't have that situation right now. And the bankruptcy code allows people to have a certain amount, well, in Colorado, Colorado specific, you can have a certain amount of equity in your house and keep it and file a bankruptcy case. What I'm running into with my bankruptcy clients is that the amount of equity because of the appreciation we've had in the home values over the last several years gives them excess equity. And so if they were to file a chapter seven bankruptcy, which is what most people think of when they think bankruptcy, I'll file chapter seven, my debts will be wiped out, I'll move on with my life. Um, the bankruptcy court would basically sell your house and give you a check for the $75,000 you're allowed to have and give the rest to your creditors. And there are countless people who have too much equity, more than $75,000 of equity in their house. And so I'm kind of coming circling back to chapter seven, but that I, I really suspect where in the past chapter sevens have been pretty voluminous. I think I'll see a lot of chapter 13s because of the equity in the house mm -hmm. and people. So what do you do? I've got too much equity in my house. I'm in debt. I'm, I'm, the creditors are now calling, foreclosures now starting. What are my options? I can sell my house. Well, then where do you go? Because inventory is so low. And rent is so high. And rent is so high. So, okay. Sometimes higher than purchasing, but now you can't purchase another house. Yeah. So, it, they put it, it, puts, it puts people in that situation in a, in a difficult position. You know, I, I would sell if I could. Well, I could sell and maybe move to Arkansas. And I've had some clients do that. But most people don't want to move. They don't want to move to Nebraska or Arkansas or you know. somewhere else. Yeah, that's less expensive away from family and friends and yep. community. And and so then you can file a Chapter 13, get caught up on your on your mortgage payments, but have to probably have to pay a significant amount of your debt back because of the equity in the house. So it's a it's a it's a it's an atypical time right now, and we'll have to see how it all shakes out. How do you help people with the emotional aspect of this? I told you that 20 years ago when I moved here, I actually had to file bankruptcy. Story for another time. I had just a lot of debt and did not see any way out of it. And that was an option. And it was really hard from the aspect of shame and guilt. And because I'm a responsible, hardworking Midwest girl mm -hmm. who just will work three jobs, but I couldn't get out. I, I just could not unbury myself. I'd gone through divorce. I was struggling to keep my kids. And so are there resources that you have for people to maybe mitigate the expense of some of that? And also, are there some people that provide emotional support for people that you refer your clients to? Or, I mean, you're so kind-hearted, but that's not your job, right? You're yeah, I'm an expensive counselor. <laughs> you know? but, but I will tell you, if any of you are dealing, if any of you are listening and you're dealing with that, because Jesse has a kind heart, you know, I have just found in our conversations, there's never any shame or guilt, you know, heaped on from him. <laughs> you know, he's just going to help you navigate it um, and mitigate as much of that in the process. So I think coming to terms with needing to file bankruptcy for some people, it's a business decision. They run the numbers and they go, okay, the benefits greater than the cost. I can rebuild. Let's do this. And for other people, it's, it's a more of a grieving process 
and having to work through all those emotions. Mm, that's a so great way to put it. Yeah. Do I help my clients work through those emotions? We might talk about them, but people work through it in their own process. And usually if some, if people wait long enough, you know, not making a decision is making a decision, right? Right. And so eventually, whether you're done grieving your financial situation or not, when somebody has their hand in your pocket, you're either going to take action or wish you had taken action. So let's get everybody hope. I mean, like I just said, I filed bankruptcy mm -hmm. 20 years ago and then, you know, my credit was terrible and I couldn't buy anything. But 20 years later, you know, I end up having an 850 credit score and I own a home and acreage and, you know, you can rebuild like it, it's crummy to go through it. But once you go through it, you learn a lot. And if you can apply those things you learn to your life in a significant way, you can rebuild. It's not the end of life. No, correct. I, it, that's something I do stress to my clients is one of the things I do is I pull a credit report for my clients that shows what their credit score is now and what their credit score will probably likely be a year from now, a year after their bankruptcy was filed. And it, it always goes up. And that's because you have a year of no negatives being reported to the credit bureau for a year. So let's say your credit score is 580 right now. A year from now, it could be in the high sixes. And two years from now, you could be in the 700s. Yeah, so, and I know a lot of those people that we did short sales for, for example, because that may be an option is to be able to contact someone like you mm -hmm. and a real estate person to help you negotiate with the bank taking less on the house Again, depends on how much equity you have. So that's a little more difficult situation maybe right now. But we were helping those people buy homes two years later. And then we were helping people out of foreclosure buy homes six or seven years later. So, you know, yep. that time passes pretty quickly. I, 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 I interrupt you, but like in this discussion, there's hope, right? Yeah, I, I remember there was, it's not as frequent now, but a year or two ago, I would get a call at least a once a week from a client who I had filed a bankruptcy for who needed a copy of their bankruptcy case because they were buying a house or refinancing a house. And that's always a good sign. If you're calling your bankruptcy attorney to get a copy of the bankruptcy case because you're trying to close a transaction, yes. well, hallelujah. That's what yeah. it's supposed to do, right? Yeah. So yeah, there's lots of hope. Uh, there are People can also file bankruptcy more than once. You can only file chapter seven every eight years, but you can file chapter 13 more times than that. So if you filed before, um, you want to talk to an attorney to see, are you, can you file again, should you need to? But yes, lots of people are doing, living happy, healthy lives. Um, I, I tell clients, if you could walk around and, and had a pair of glasses on to see who all filed bankruptcy around you, you would be astonished at who has filed. And I tell them that they don't put your bankruptcy in the newspaper. You don't have to wear a red big B around your chest or, and there's no scarlet letter. The only people who are going to know about your bankruptcy filing are either people you owe money to or people you tell. So do you have on, you have Facebook group or you have resources that people can go and be able to get more information and hear you educate and talk about this? Yeah. So I started a Facebook group when COVID hit uh, called Surviving Debt and it's on Facebook. Feel free to check it out. I need to make some more posts on there, but I've been working through um, debt survival strategies. Uh, some, most of them right now are not bankruptcy related, just how to handle creditor calls and creditor inquiries and, and to work, you know, we discussed uh, Dave Ramsey's debt snowball versus other options. And so just try to give my clients a full, range of, of their options. It's a place you can go on and ask questions too. And then you use those questions to do some Facebook lives or education, sure. right? 
Definitely. Definitely. I mean, I have two types of clients when it comes to bankruptcy work or any type of work. There are the ones that just say, just do it, you know, drug me and tell me when I'm done. And then I have others that say, I need to read everything about it so I can fully understand and, and actually do your job better than you, Jesse. So I have the spectrum here. So I try to provide things for, <laughs> for both sides. Go to law um, school. <laughs> yeah, well, but it's important to be educated. I mean, I think yes, that there's people how respond, people how people respond to what they're going through. So, but yeah, definitely want to educate and answer questions. I always tell clients to call me if they have a question and let's let's answer it it's important they understand the process uh, if i don't edu if i don't explain something thoroughly enough and they're confused and i haven't done my job right so i don't know the answer to this question i guess you should always know the answer before you ask a question but hey we're we're going to be human we talked about being human on this right so if i call you is there a consultation fee that you have is there a few minutes i get without a fee how do, how do you work in terms of that so you know, because I think that's one of the things that stops people from making a call is they're mm -hmm. like, oh, my gosh, you know, like how much is that going to cost me just to call this attorney? So how do you work? Yeah, so I, I for consultations are always free, whether that's for any any of my services, because you're you wanted to get to know me and I need to get to know you, you know, and decide if we're if we're a good fit. And so it doesn't hurt to give me a call and, and talk about your situation and, and I'll give you. Uh, good good information and then you can make make it adult choices about what you need to do that's, that's yep. an awesome service and kind of takes down that scary factor of calling the attorney yeah right? so how about the other areas that you practice in so family law estate and will planning tell us a little bit about that environment right now and how people can access you and the services you provide and, and the things that you specialize in sure and passion for so family law is a passion of mine and has been since I got out of law school. And right now I have, well, I've had a lot of cases this year, which people said COVID would, would increase the number of cases. I don't know if statistically the number of cases have gone up statewide. Uh, in my office, though, I've had seen a significant increase. And not so many divorces that I've had, except for what I've seen is people who have had kids together, who no longer want to be together and need to get a parenting plan in place and decide what days the child is going to be with mom, what days the child's going to be with dad, and what is child support. I had more of those than divorce cases. So if I had to guess why, I would assume that people don't want to get divorced right now because, well, you got the housing market and you have, you know, I think people, that's just me guessing, but people who don't want to, people want to get divorced but they don't want to file for divorce right now because it's uncertain. So I'll live separately from you in the same house and we will get divorced, officially divorced once I know that I have a place I can move to or I, you know, I can be safely away from you. I've had two cases this year where we were going to file divorce on a spouse. And right when COVID hit, a client called me up and said, no, 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 no. I don't want to be stuck in the house with them for the next however long this is going to be. And so we didn't file the divorce case and we're still waiting. They still want to go forward, but they, they don't want to go forward yet. So I think Interesting. once That's there's less uncertainty about housing and jobs, then I think we'll see more divorces. But of course that doesn't happen when they're already separated and they have a child. So, but I, I really enjoy working with, with all my clients. I think somebody once said that a criminal attorney sees bad people at their best 
and a divorce attorney sees good people at their worst. And I think that's true. Mm -hmm. um, I see a lot of my clients who are really, you know, there's something emotional, spiritual when that happens uh, when you're getting separated from somebody you've made a connection with. And it does not help you to think straight or to make rational decisions. And it's just, I think it's too much on multi, trying to wax poetic here, but mm -hmm. I, well, it's, it's hard. Good... You've got all that to figure out. You've got a child. You've got, mm -hmm. you're changing everything, right? You're changing where you live. You're changing who you're living with. Mm -hmm. You're changing a lot of times your friends and family, your community. There's a lot that changes in a divorce. Yeah, it's a traumatic situation. And so I feel like I can step in and, and provide my clients with, with counsel and support and objective advice. You know, maybe your idea of what you think is best for your kid really isn't. Maybe it's not about your kid. Maybe you're wanting to get revenge on your husband because he decided to go have an affair on you. Uh, so maybe we should think that through for a second. Because divorce is not about justice. Divorce is about, in Colorado, divorce is about, you know, equitably dividing a partnership and deciding what's best for the kids, which sounds really non-passionate <laughs> the court views the uh, married couple as a business and then the kids are what's best for the kids and that's what it boils down to but for my clients it's about i'm going to get that you know what and take him for everything he has and um, I, I don't play into that with my clients I, I, you know i appreciate their passion and their anger and their hurt but at the end of the day i can't guarantee that's going to happen mm -hmm. because the court doesn't look at somebody's affair when they're dividing up who, who gets how much of the house. Mm -hmm. um, it's not a factor. We're in a no fault divorce state. Mm -hmm. But, but anyway, I, I, I look forward, what I hope is by helping my clients with their family law matters that in, you know, a couple years from now, just like in my bankruptcy clients, I want to run into them at the grocery store or the golf course or whatever. And they're just, they're living their best life. You know, I was just a bridge that got them from point A to point B and onto a better a better situation. So how did the fact that you had a divorce yourself, how did that, how does that play into your work with people having had gone through that, gone through that experience yourself? Yeah, I was divorced after 22 years of marriage. And so, you know, I think, how's that help? And not, well, it helps and not me. part of your plan to begin with, right? Yeah. Like that was not part of my plan at all. It was not. <laughs> I think it at least it, it lets me relate I, especially with, with somebody who has kids, it lets me relate to their struggles. It lets me, fortunately I've done a lot of healing since then and, and I'm able to hopefully give them some coaching in that regard. Yeah. It lets me be empathetic and vulnerable with them. You know, I don't want to tell them my whole story. I don't know. I don't think that's necessarily professional to do, but I can really open my heart to them and, and, and appreciate where they're coming from and what they're struggling with. And so before, when I started doing divorce cases back when I was in my twenties, it was a, it, yeah, they always get the new, they always put the new law students, the new law grads get into divorce cases, Mr. right? Mr. Wisdom. Yeah. You know, when the client called up complaining about something, I didn't know enough to decide if that was valid or if it was BS or, or what. And now I've got, I've got a lot more gray hair. I've got my own life experiences and you know, almost 20 years of practicing law. And I think I bring, bring that non-legal mm -hmm. as well as legal assets to the table. Yeah. So when people complain about their, their spouse doing, or their ex-spouse doing X, Y, and Z, I can say, yeah, I, I get where you're coming from, mm -hmm. you know, and this will pass. 
you know, don't, don't, shall pass. Yeah. yeah, don't, don't wreck your ship. Don't, re don't wreck everything because you've got a resentment, you know, go take care of yourself. And, 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 you know, a couple of years from now, this won't matter. So I had a, recently had a guy call me up who was looking for a divorce case and, and he said that his wife kicked him out because she said he has anger issues. Of course he didn't have anger issues. So I did refer him to a counselor. I know to say, well, maybe you should explore that because you know, if you're, if you're exploring your alleged anger issues with a counselor and then she files divorce on you, Hey, you're being proactive. And the courts do not look at somebody in therapy as a bad thing anymore. They say, Hey, you're in therapy. Great. That's fabulous. You're look, you're trying to get healthier and we're not going to use that against you one iota. Mm. And, and maybe he goes to therapy and he figures out he does have anger issues and maybe that mm -hmm. saves his marriage. I don't know where I was going with that, but well, I, think, I mean, you're talking about, you know, the wisdom of where to guide people, right? Yeah. I remember going through my divorce and two really great pieces of information. One was from an attorney and one was from a counselor. And the one from the counselor was wherever you go, that's where you, that's where you are. Mm -hmm. So what piece of this is your responsibility? Cause you're going to take that into the next relationship. Do you want to do that? Cause it's always the failure of two people, mm -hmm. even though somebody might be catalytic in their decision to behave a certain way. There's still all the years before that, that both of us have played into the relationship. And the second one, because I had two children was when you look at them, know that they are part of each of you. And every time you're tempted to criticize him in front of your children, you're criticizing a part of who they are too. Mm -hmm. And boy, did that capture my heart to not, you know, if I needed to process or I needed to work something out or I was angry, I was upset, to really try hard not to do that in front of my children and not to dishonor their dad to them because I didn't want to dishonor them. And, you know, so really, and the attorney was the one who told me that second piece. Yeah, I just had an initial conference in, with a client yesterday in Arapahoe County, and the judge gave a nice little sermonette on, you know, the kids are really the most important part right here. And, you know, he said, you guys can get together and work out a parenting plan for your kids. These are your kids. But if you're not adult enough to do that, then I will happily tell you how to parent your children. But know that you are handing over your authority and your right to parent your children to me so decide how you want this case to move forward mm -hmm. and you know i'm on the phone going you know he said that before but every time he says it i go yeah that's about right yes. you know i don't know if my clients heard it or not they probably didn't because they're too mad but it's the right thing to say so um, moving on to trust and estate yeah. stuff so basically what my office does i would say um well, I do wills and trusts and probate. So I now, find have you seen with COVID that go up? Have you seen people more like, oh, I better get this stuff together? I mean, that, that motivated Tom and I because we had something that was pitiful. And we were like, oh, my gosh, we've got to get this in order. Like, you know, what if something happens? We've got land and horses and kids and grandkids and stuff. And we better get this, you know, in a way that doesn't put additional stress, like you said, on our our family yeah. if we're gone well i think people don't in my experience people get their wills done when somebody they know dies mm -hmm. or when somebody they know gets cancer then they get a wake-up call saying oh mm -hmm. i don't want that you know it's like driving by a car wreck and going i don't want to be that guy maybe i'll drive slower or more mm -hmm. conscientiously so 
I have a friend of mine who's a financial planner and he tells his clients you need to get a will done as part of your financial plan all the time. And they'll, people drag their feet on it. They don't want to do it. I think it just says, Hey, I will die one day. And this is not a fun topic to talk about. You know, I'll well, be laying in a face with your mortality. Like when we sat in your conference room and we're signing all those documents, I'm like, like you made it fun because you're a great guy, but like it's not really that fun of an experience <laughs> thinking about not being around someday and what will happen. So, you know, you kind of have to be willing to go, hey, I really am not going to be here someday. Yeah, and I tell my clients too, the, there's people who overthink it. Of course, uh, it sounds to me like everybody overthinks it, but I, having a plan is better than having no plan. And I had one client who really struggled with who should he have as his medical power of attorney and what if he picks the wrong person? And I said, hey, Hey, Jeff, pick somebody today. If you go home over the weekend and decide that's not the right person, we'll change it. You know, for, I'll change it for free. Just make a decision. And he, he eventually made a decision and hasn't called me back. But it's just that analysis paralysis. Mm-hmm. And that thought of one day I'm going to be, you know, my dad died of cancer three years ago, four years ago. And, it, you know, I, I'm now in my late 40s and I just go, you know, okay, I've got 30 years left if I'm on his timetable. And am I going to go the way he went? I mean, that's, it's a sobering thought mm-hmm. and it's not a fun idea to talk about it. Rather just in my head, I'm 25 and um, I am invincible <laughs> and, you know, but then when I see my parents growing old, as I alluded to earlier, I go, I'm not 25 and I'm not, I'm not invincible. And, you know, these things are going to happen. So uh, having an estate plan in place is important. And I and you love have, that have, you sent us like a whole questionnaire to fill out. Like you made it so easy. Like you sent us the questions to answer and the information to get to you ahead of time to make the process really streamlined and easy. I mean, ours wasn't super complicated. I mean, it was complicated enough, but some people have really complicated ones and maybe a lot more to think about, but you, you certainly made it easy to do. So oh, thanks. I just want to let people know that thanks. how great you are to work with. And I think the hardest thing is deciding who's going to take care of your estate when you die, who's going to be, who's going to make medical decisions for you when you can't make them for yourself and who's going to take care of your money when you can't make those decisions for yourself. And then if you have a blended family, it gets more complicated. So if people can have that conversation and decide who who's a good choice to do those things, and the whole process runs very smooth, but that is the speed bump that people always get stuck on. Uh, who's Who do I trust to stand over my bedside and say, yeah, we'll do the procedure or no, we won't. But somebody's got to do it, so. Yep. Well, I really appreciate this. What? Uh, how can people get a hold of you? Give us your website and your Facebook page again and your phone number so that people can get a hold of you and talk to you about things that are important sure. to them. Sure. So my phone number is 720-493-9733. Say that again. Um, and we'll, put it, we'll sure. post it on the podcast also, but say that again. Sure. 720-493-9733. And my Facebook page is, well, my website is familylawpros.com. That's my website, familylawpros.com. You can email me at jesse at familylawpros.com. I do have a Facebook page for the Ashenberg Law Group, which is just Facebook, facebook.com slash Ashenberg Law. Ashenberg is A-S-C-H-E-N, B as in boy, E-R-G. And that those are all good ways to get a hold of me. Email is often the best. 
but be happy to talk to anybody, either questions about three to five or any of the services our firm provides. Great. Well, I really appreciate your time in your busy schedule and always appreciate who you are and how you show up in the world in your generosity and wisdom. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you. It's great being on the podcast with the Brene Brown of business development. <laughs> oh my gosh. Thank you. That's such a compliment. <laughs> I love listening to her and Oprah. They're incredible interviewers. So what, what a nice thing to say. <laughs> I hope that's true someday. But anyway, thank you so much, Jesse. Thanks for joining us today. If this podcast was helpful, please subscribe by computer or phone or connect with us at www.the3to5club.com. Discover how you can get off the treadmill, make more money and find more meaning by contacting us at grow at 3to5club.com.